Hey everybody, welcome to We've Got Ward, a daily Prep Planet Productions podcast series where we expertly dissect and discuss Ward, Wildbo's return to the world of parahumans. My name is Matt Freeman, and this... Stop! Silence. No more jokey introductions, Matt. They're all bad. Say that you understand. I understand. Say that Scott is the best. Scott is... The best. Perfect. Now, finish the introduction for me, Matt. I I don't feel like doing it this week. As I said, this is the podcast where you and I eagerly dive into Wildbo's world of loosely interpreted verbal commands, murder relapses, and alien-based death powers as we analyze and interpret this ongoing web serial. This week, Arc 5 Shadow still continues, and we discuss um, chapters 5.10 and 5.11, the Fallen War rages on. Veilfor joins the battle, and both the Misfit Toys and Hollow Point find themselves under the sway of his power. They escape due to some clever thinking by Victoria, but not without dealing some serious mental damage to all parties. A lull in the battle is broken when Ashley, pushed a bit too far by Bob, totally ignores Victoria's uh, 75% rule by removing 100% of his chest. All sides reel from Ashley's sudden murder, but there's no time to consider the consequences just yet. As the war rages on. Good job, Matt. I release you. Be normal. (sighs) 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 My God. Be as normal as you can be. As be you. Be you. Okay. Everything's (laughs) fine. These were a couple good chapters, Matt. Yeah. I like these a lot. This was uh, this was fun and also. Had had some moments in there, Scott. Some of those moments, I think, some of those moments maybe that are that are going to define this story. Actually, I think I think you're absolutely right. Um, this 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 feels like the thing we've been building up to for a while now. Um, yeah. At the at the end of this first chapter, the the the, the choice that Ashley makes here um, is is going to be story defining, and yeah. it's exciting to get there. And the way Victoria is reacting to it, I think, is is very interesting and and something I want to talk a lot about. Um, But we'll obviously get there uh, in in due time. Yeah, we will. I can't wait. And Matt, the the exciting news, I'm going to I'm going to brag this here. So I'm going to have to eat my words in about two hours. But we have a decent sized script for like the first time in We've Got Ward history. Is it less than 25 pages? It is. Oh, wow. It's. It's so much less. All right. So you can all look at the timestamp on this episode <laughs> and go ahead and get your laugh in. No, we're going to do it this time. I'm telling okay. you, 90 minutes, we're going to do it. Okay. All right. I believe you. I am normal. <laughs> um. Yeah. We got so, some announcements? Yep. Announcements. We've, the, we've got Ward Fan Art Contest. The theme of the Misfit Toys contest ends uh, tonight. Tonight being the date this episode is released, Wednesday, the fourth of April. So, so go ahead and submit your artwork immediately so that we can uh, include it in the running. Yeah, we've already gotten some great entries, um, all very impressive works, and I can't wait to see what the rest of you got. So, so submit them. It's exciting. Yep. I'm very excited about this. You know, th- we talked last week. There's always that. That little bit of nervousness where you start you start to think near the, the last week of the contest and you're like, is anyone going to do this? Um, and then we got we got three, three, I think, came this week and I'm sure more are coming, but it's it's exciting. It's very exciting. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, cool. All right. Moving on to the community spotlight. The first part where we discuss 
the discussion question from last week. And if you'll recall, the discussion question was, what does Victoria need? And this was our contrast to the prior week, which was more or less, what does Victoria want? Um, and as usual, amazing feedback here. Yeah, yeah. We, uh, do you want to start with the first one? Sure. Um, so, Sir Graug says that Victoria needs to figure out what she wants to do and how to carry it out in a healthy way. So, so basically what she needs, in other words, is to figure out what she wants. Um, Which is uh, fair. Yeah. So like more specifically, regardless of what role Amy ends up playing in Victoria's life, she needs to get to a place where she can look her sister in the eye and not have a panic attack. I think that's, that, that's really interesting. And, and they further go on to say uh, she doesn't need to forgive, forget, or become less wary of the danger of, of her sister but things will be so much better for her if it's no longer dominating her mind and sapping her enjoyment of life. I think that's really well put, like, what I've been not trying to say because I don't think I've ever <laughs> actually tried to say it. But what I've been thinking, like, like I, I don't I, – I think people pattern match some of the things I say to, to being like she should forgive Amy. And it's more like she just needs to get to a place where Amy isn't dominating her life and – um, cause Amy, it, the, the, this trauma is still dominating her life, similar to the way another character's trauma is dominating their life that we'll see in this next chapter we're going to discuss. Oh, well done, sir. Yeah, no, I, I completely, I, I love, I love this, this sentence. She doesn't need to forgive, forget, or become less wary of the dangerous potential of her sister. And that's something that I think, yeah, when, when, when you start tossing around words like, uh, dealing with your issues and moving past them and 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 words like forgiveness there's a tendency to say well she shouldn't have to forgive her she not she shouldn't have to do that and it's like that's not necessarily what needs to happen as you've said on this podcast before forgiveness is more about you than it is about the other person mm-hmm. and that's a, i think um one of the the really cool things about um what what this story could do how the story could go and we talked about this before about how the, the because we are centered on victoria as our our protagonist we're not necessarily exploring the idea of how do you earn forgiveness as a person that has done bad things but rather you're from the perspective of how do you learn to uh learn to give that for your own for for yourself how do, how do you heal by by moving past the, the wrongs that have been done to you and that's a unique story, and that's why I'm very excited to see where Victoria's art goes throughout the long, the long haul of this book. Yeah, me too, definitely. The next one um, is the one I want to talk about a lot, okay. Matt, because um, so this is bisexual punch party, great name, um, and and they answered the question. I guess here's the thing I'm going to do. This is kind of a, a joke answer because, but kind of not. Because what they say is what Victoria wants is a preppy, classically handsome guy. What she needs is Moose. She needs someone who doesn't have to worry about destroying if her powers run amok. Someone who takes a hit from the wretch and won't blame or hate her for it. Um, And he goes on uh, to basically explain why Moose is the perfect partner for her. And I I said I liked this comment a lot. And I had a lot of people go like, oh, so you like you like shipping now, Scott, huh? (laughs) It's like, here's why I like this this comment, Matt. Uh, because this is this is kind of joking around this is kind of having fun with it but if you take a step back from this and start thinking of it at the more metaphorical level um what victoria wants is like we talked about the the same thing she she used to want she wants heroes and villains she wants um this kind of more black and white existence 
and she needs something entirely different than that. So if you look at uh, the normal preppy guy that she likes as a representative of the old and and if you remove Moose from who he is specifically and more look at him as representation of the new of what what her life is going to be like now with the existence of this this wretch that um, doesn't appear to be something that's going to be going away anytime soon. I think that that is a perfect kind of uh, comparison between the, the old and the new in in what kind of it's a great metaphor for for her in in what kind of dudes she should either want to be with or needs to be with. I think that yeah. works very well. Yeah, that's great. She she wants what she used to have, but she's not really maybe recognizing the fact that she's a different person now. And she's maybe the kind of yeah. person who, you know, wave a magic wand and maybe Gallant is is still here. Like maybe Gallant isn't actually what she needs anymore <laughs> in this moment now that she's a, this different person who's been right. through so much more. Yeah, yeah. So no, I'm not... I'm not shipping there. I don't think those two should actually literally get together. I think it is a perfect metaphor for the changes and, and the disparity between Victoria's want and her need right now. Cool. Yeah. I like that a lot. We're not shipping though. That's not what's happening here. No, I don't even like saying that word. I said it and now my mouth feels gross (laughs) and I I just, I don't know what to do. Yeah. Let's just move on and get past this. Okay. So Marcus believes that Victoria and many others, for that matter, need to get past this idea of the labels of hero and villain and understand that they don't mean anything anymore. And further to understand that normal non-capes, you know, believe that there are either capes who force them to do stuff by force and fear and capes who basically force them to do stuff through their sort of self-recognized authority as being heroes so in other words, normal people no longer see this thing of like, oh, the superheroes are good, the supervillains are bad. They see capes as being either, you know, violent thieves or, um, you know, uh, authoritarian um, wannabe Judge Dreads, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, it's and and also like they point out other details like there's no there, there's no youth guard anymore. There's no PRT structure that has oversight from uh, from the from, from the humans um and just yeah I, I like i like this whole general general outline of of how and why victoria's status quo not only doesn't exist but like can't exist in this world yeah i i, I like this part particularly um we said what she needs to learn is that in a post gold morning world, a person cape or not who spends their time helping to build repair or create is much more of a hero than someone who spends his time fighting and squabbling over territory. Um, so, so this idea that she needs to stop trying to emulate the hero label or what a hero, uh, what a hero used to represent and start thinking about what being a hero actually means. And I, I like that a lot. Um, I mean, I do think, unfortunately, in this world, there's always going to be need for for heroes that fight. Um, it's just kind of the the nature of of humanity and cape manity. Um, but I, I do I do think that 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 is that is an interesting way to look at it. That that maybe what being a hero is in this world has has shifted um, because the world demands different things from you now. Sure. Yeah. And and reminds me that even T- Taylor had her own fairly idiosyncratic view of what a hero was that ended up making her into something that 
was not very much of a hero. Um, it'll yeah. be interesting to see what direction Victoria takes that in. It will. It will. So, yeah, next next commenter. Um, this is Regvlas. Yeah. Right? So, Did I miss yeah. that? No. Yeah, yeah Regvlas says Vicky needs to forgive herself. She needs to work with Sveta, Ashley, and Miss Yamada to uh, control and or accept the wretch. Uh, and then Regvlas says they don't know how she can do that, but the um, the control and acceptance of the wretch is the most important thing. I think that's interesting. I, I'm not even sure if she needs to control the wretch so much as just understand that she has this now and for it not to just be a trigger every single time she encounters it. Yeah, I I, I agree. I, I like this answer because I like this, I, this idea around control and acceptance of the wretch like is basically, I mean, if... If powers are trauma, then the wretch is the memory of her past trauma and how it's still dominating her. Then accepting and controlling this thing might be the key to moving past it, you know? Um, And and I like like that idea. Yeah, right. I'm just like thinking of the way powers work. I just don't know if she will come to control it. Yeah, probably not. Yeah, it just, it seems like, you know, Sveta has control issues and her you know mutation is a little is kind of even more within scope than victoria's problem because at least k53 is like a known quantity whereas this is just her power was like okay i guess your body's weird now and of course or of course we, we we have been given the suggestion that it might just like decide that oh i don't need to have this shape anymore i'm just going to revert to your your new body shape. We don't, we don't yeah. know. Which is an interesting idea because we have seen it change before. So what's to stop it? We've seen it expand. It expanded to her costume size and then expanded mm-hmm. out when she uh, was changed later. So what's to stop it from, from expanding inward? Um, mm-hmm. Unless, unless the shard des- decides that, Hey, this, this is better. I learn yeah. more with this. Therefore yeah. I'm just going to keep it. Right. Yeah. We don't know the logic behind why it's choosing these shapes, I guess. Right. Right. Cool. Um, yeah, I, I like that one a lot. And I, I really like the idea of, and, and this is something echoed by a few people, of she needs to work with people that may maybe have an understanding of these these things. She needs to work with Sveta. She needs to work with Ashley. She needs to work with Yamada. She needs to be, to continue to reach out, um, which is which is uh, part of part of her whole, whole mantra thing, which is so yeah. it's good. And she does tend to forget that whenever the wretch comes up because she just wants to get out of the conversation as quickly as possible. Um, I think she's in the process maybe of desensitizing herself to that and getting to a place where she can talk about it. Yeah, and I think we're going to cover that a little bit um, as we go through these chapters. Okay. All right, Iron Zephyr uh, says that Victoria needs two things. One, start doing therapy with that new guy. Yeah, still hasn't done that. I mean, I know there's war and everything, but from as far as we know, she still has not made the call that she's told y- Yamada she was going to make, right? Yeah, right. And, and just, just imagine her telling this to Yamada, like, yeah. oh, um, yeah, I was going to go see him, but instead of that, <laughs> we went and we got into a, a bloody gunfight with the Fallen. Yeah, that's like, that's basically the same. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, the other thing that they say that's the second part of their their thing is that uh, Victoria needs to upga- update her catechism to reflect the changes in the world. 
that she is slowly coming to realize the whole this whole battle is slowly shredding her wish for a more black and white world in every aspect. She's working with villains now. She's she's working with uh, some of the fallen even um, and and seeing the wardens are working with the undersiders. Um, so so Victoria's idea of black and white, this idea of of even her mantra of like if it's if the law says if the law is clear on it well great if the law is not clear on it th- this whole mantra that she has to do is needs readjusting based on this new world um and that's what that's what uh, iron zephyr says she needs yeah i think that that's likely to happen honestly in the next short while yeah i, I think we're going to touch on that a lot because i do think this moment with ashley this this thing that ashley does um, and and the understanding that Victoria gleans from Ashley as a, as a rem- immediate result of that thing really does shift her outlook on what is what is bad and what is not. And yeah, um, I think that I think that the the, the long term fallout of that is going to be very interesting to our main character. Yeah, me too. Um, Apothecaragon, Apothecaragorn, Apothecaragorn. I did it. Apothecaragorn. <laughs> it only took you four times. Yep. And also, Yojur agrees with the sentiment expressed here. Uh, so these these people think um, she needs a, a safe space and she needs communication with her family. Um, like she she really they they recall that she really benefited from the conversation with Crystal and her dad. Like uh, there was a lot of kind of progress made despite the fact that it was a hard conversation, but it was an, it was an it was an honest conversation. Everybody respected each other's boundaries. And because there was clarity and an honesty of communication, it kind of moved the ball forward for her and got her to a better place than she had been before that conversation. Yeah. And and I, I agree. I think, um, yeah, I mean, it's hard to imagine her having anything like that kind of conversation with her mom. Um, yeah. But just because her mom is always trying to like flank her, but it would be nice to see just more, more of that, more of that kind of thing. Like she needs to tell Crystal about the wretch stuff like that. That's, I mean that you're absolutely right. And I think that's going to be a big deal if, and when that moment happens that, that the first of her family member, because we've seen like as much as she doesn't want to admit it, Victoria's family is very important to her in one way or another. Um, They have had a big impact on her life, mostly negatively in in recent times but um they are a, a important part of her life they they she she deals with their effects constantly so part of part of whatever um reconciliation and healing process victoria needs to go through is eventually going to have to confront them one at a time and uh i, I so so she needs I, I like this this sentiment that she needs a safe space to be able to communicate that she needs a a um a place and and a a setting in which she can feel safe enough to where this communication can happen um and therefore needs people to respect her and her concerns and that's the problem with Carol right now is that she just just really doesn't understand yeah what's interesting about all this is that i bet amy has a better chance of understanding victoria's concerns and issues than carol does like like yeah. a conversation between Victoria and Amy would probably go better than a conversation between Victoria and Carol. Um, you know, assuming assuming it were like a like like you said, basically a psychologically safe context for her to have that conversation, yeah. which is difficult to imagine at this point. But I think we can get there. I think one of the one of the 
the big things, and this is kind of a tangent, but we've we've the story has kept Amy at arm's length. Um, it, it makes sense, of course, that Victoria has and, and the chapters which were in her point of view. But the story itself has really only given us like very fleeting glimpses of her. So we really we really have no earthly idea what her state of mind is, how she's doing right now. We really don't fully understand. Um, the mm-hmm. one time we did see her, we were locked into the mindset of a, a dying no bug monster. So um, who who is not exactly good at reading emotions and 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 observing how people are doing. So um, the, the the story has kept Amy at arm's length, and I think we're going to see that slacken a little bit as we go on. And and it's going to be interesting to 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 see to start to to see, and maybe maybe we'll get to see it first. Maybe it'll be some dramatic irony where we get to see how she's doing before Victoria does, and and that kind of leads into our anticipation of whatever whatever conflict brings them towards each other. Um, it's going to yeah. be interesting. Yeah, I agree. That's definitely being paced out and, and teased. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. So that was, that was the discussion of the discussion prompt moving on to general community stuff. Uh, we wanted to be sure to give credit to user Shemets for the name Corona, which I had mentioned last week uh, yeah. and said I, I liked, and I think a lot of people liked it, and people said, hey, who, who really came up with that? And I figured it would be better to give actual credit than to do the half-assed, you know, go look <laughs> it up thing. So, oh, yeah, you mean that thing that shimmets. we did last time? Yes, exactly. Oops. Yeah, no, uh, that's, that's a really great name. Um, it, I, I wonder, like, I wonder how much of this is, like, once it's put out into the ether, it's not going to happen anymore. Yeah. It's like if this was the plan and they're like, Oh, now we're going to change the plan now. Yeah. I don't know. I definitely had that thought, but that that's fairly arrogant of me to presume that I would have thought of something as cool as whatever wild was going to think of. So, yeah, well, I wasn't saying you, I was saying Shemets. No. Yes. Well, we all want to see Corona, but you're right. <laughs> now it can't happen. Oh, well. All right. And once again, Matt, the next item on our list here is it's time for Carol's corner with your host Megafire. Um, Megafire continues to outdo themselves and once again posted a very long deep dive into Carol Dallin, our, our favorite bad mom. Um, this time Megafire focused on Carol's relationship with her ex-husband Mark and I urge you guys to go check this out. Um, I know there's a lot of our listeners out there that don't really go to the Reddit thread. They're not Reddit people and that's cool. I'm not either. Like if, <laughs> if you look at my Reddit, it's these threads and that's about it um but i really urge you to check to check last week's thread out and just just read megafire's post here there's a lot of really interesting stuff about um about carol and about mark and about um maybe the the dynamics of the relationship and how how it might have ended in divorce and and how maybe amy is partially responsible for that in a in a kind of twisted way um a lot of it's speculation, but it's it's a it's really good detailed kind of analysis that really looks in detail at the text and and parses what it's saying. Um, I I find his his work really great, so I just want to t- call attention to it every time it happens. I agree. I think this might have been my favorite of of those analyses of Carol, um, like you said, because it, it draws some connections that are there in the text to be found, and once they've been drawn for you. Uh, they seem pretty valid, uh, and I, I definitely not thought of that before. So yeah, yeah check it out. One of my greatest uh, or my favorite things in the post he said, and I, I've I've told him this already, but was when they when 
Carol is talking about Victoria and and I think this is I think this is the moment where they're they're basically placing Amy with with Carol and she's like no this is a bad idea um I didn't I didn't even want kids and it's like well you had Victoria and Carol's response is well Victoria is safe and I think your first read of that is almost literal it's like like well with me like like the the environment that she's grown up in the environment that she's bound is is Victoria will be safe but Megafire's interpretation and I'm kind of inclined to agree with him here is that when Carol's talking about Victoria being safe she's referring to safe for her because right. because Carol's got this this trauma that she's still dealing with and and this trust problem uh based on the the horrible horrible things that happened to her when she was younger and Victoria represents this thing that she knows um, won't will not pose danger to her, whereas she can't say the same about Amy. Yeah, and and you know the the part of the comment I liked specifically was that um, she goes from being able to say that Mark is safe to Mark no longer being safe at a certain point. Right, because because uh, yeah, and and Mark is like seeing as this kind of like maybe because of his depression or as as part of it, this guy who. Um, is kind of like willing to let her take the lead and take control of the relationship. And um, and maybe when when Amy fixed him, part of that was curing his depression. Part of that was curing some of the, the issues he was having. And that resulted in a person who was maybe a little more a little more confident, a little more assertive, a little less safe. And I, I love I love that idea. That's so interesting. Yeah, yeah me too. So thanks, Megafire. Keep that up, please. Um, I, I think like we said, Victoria's family and her relationships with her family are so important to her character and so important to the journey her character is going to go on. So the fact that we get these deep dives every couple weeks, I think, I think we can't undersell the importance of, of analyzing these relationships. Yeah. Yeah. You could, you could easily write an essay about each of her relationships with each other character. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, the next, the next thing uh, before we get into the chapters is, we got a lot of great responses to our discussion of how we approach art and artists. And basically the principle of charity is the idea here. Um, and I think Scott and I both wanted to say some things here about how important this is um, to us, you know, in, in different ways, both personally and artistically. Like I, I would, I just wanted to say like, it's really crucial even outside of talking about fiction. Um, to to interpret people's arguments as the strongest possible version of the argument that they could be making rather than assuming that they're idiots and and don't know what they're talking about and that you know better than them because first of all it may be true that they're idiots and you know better than them but <laughs> but it's much it's actually very likely that you're just sort of pattern matching what they're saying to a simpler dumber version of what they might actually be saying and missing an opportunity to learn something or actually communicate. And I think this is why the internet is such a dumpster fire is that we, it's so much easier to not be charitable. It's so much harder to be charitable, but I think it's literally our, our duty to try to extend charity to, to others. Um, and of course that applies to fiction too, where, where, you know, last week what Scott said was you need to act like the thing you're reading is, been written by the greatest genius ever and that it's their <laughs> magnum opus whether or not that's true it's mm -hmm. you're you're way more likely to actually learn something that way 
Yeah. And, and the thing I wanted to say is I, I appreciated your guys' response to this. I really did. And one of you guys said something, um, and I'm sorry, I completely forgot to pull who it was. We're doing that thing where we don't reference people <laughs> again. Um, but one of you said that j- approaching a work with positivity, approaching artists with this uh, assumption of genius does not mean that you cannot be critical of them. And I completely agree with that. I completely agree with the fact that, yes, you approach the work with as much charity as possible. But if there's things that you don't think work, you have every right to share that. If there's things that you think um, didn't did not execute on their goal, did not fail to convey something that they were trying to convey. Yeah, that's criticism. Talk about that. I, I absolutely think that both those things can exist at the same time, that you can both be charitable and, and make the assumption of, of genius in artists and still be critical when they don't live up to that assumption. And I, I think those are not mutually exclusive and you should do both of them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think I think you're right, although it is really interesting to see how far you can push the assume this person is a genius Um you know, rubric, like, 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 for example, I don't think we've mentioned this in a few dozen episodes, Scott, so we can probably mention it again. Now, <laughs> the, the, the book length analysis of the, of the Michael Bay Transformers movies. Yes. Where the whole premise of the thing is this extremely deep thematic visual, very complex analysis of the Transformers movies. And like, normally you would just say those movies don't deserve that amount of scrutiny. But the thing is, you get such an interesting product out of treating them as if they do deserve it. That's true. So, so it makes you think, hey, what could I do if I treated this random thing like it actually deserved that level of scrutiny? Yeah, I mean, the main idea here is that Michael Bay is actually a genius. And everyone who doesn't agree with that is wrong. <laughs> yeah, I mean, no, I think I... that we're going to let that statement go unchallenged <laughs> and move on. No one's going to have any comments about that. No, um, no I, I, I absolutely think you're right. Um, I think I think pushing this as far as it can go is a rather interesting exercise. I think you do need to realize that sometimes you are pushing a little too far. I think it's like your your topic about eggs, Matt. Sometimes <laughs> analysis is there's sometimes analysis is too much analysis, but it doesn't hurt anyone in the yeah. end of the day. Right. There's a reason why I've only done that joke once of, of like overanalyzing the shit out of something. Because it starts to devalue the actual analysis when you do it too often. And yeah. we try not to make analyses that we don't actually feel have some grounding. Yeah, absolutely. Speaking of which. Speaking of which, grounding in the actual text. <laughs> Is that, that your transition? That's what that's you're going to go with? That's it. Okay. We're grounding this discussion chapter. in chapter 510. <laughs> Beginning with Valefor arriving on the scene in style, Victoria warns everyone within earshot about his capabilities, uh, but her information is old and out of date. She doesn't know about his blindness or his power's new development. Yeah, it's that pesky dramatic irony popping up again, Matt. Mm-hmm. Um, we've talked about how useful this is as a narrative tool in the in the past, so I don't want to rehash that entire conversation. But I think this does kind of work as a tone setting moment for the entire chapter, not just in the conflict with Valefor, but with everything else that happens during this chapter and, and into the next one. Um, you think you know how this whole thing is going to go down, just like Victoria did, but you really, really don't. Yeah, we've got just the fun, unpredictable elements on the table and we get to watch how they play out. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, so we haven't specifically talked about this idea of powers changing to get around physical obstacles. Uh, and it seems like this is the time. Like, yeah, okay, we've, we've, we realize Victoria got this very useful wretch from being turned into a blob. And, and we know now, and we knew a little bit earlier, that Veil vale 4 lost his sight and gained the ability to compel anybody with an earshot. So I'm tempted to, to do the, the metaphor thing and view, view powers as a metaphor for trauma. Um, or more specifically, I think, for a traumatic pathology and kind of interpret this as like a mental issue, which rather than resolving, instead morphs into a new uh, manifestation in response to a new life situation. Yeah, I really I really like that line of thinking. Um, I really like that explanation, because if you start to like break out the themes of Ward so far, this idea of second chances, uh, of recovery, of healing, of moving on, of getting better. um, And you compare them with this idea that your trauma can uh, adapt. It can roll with things that happen to you. Oh, you got a new trauma. Okay, we can we can insert that in or or oh, you've you've maybe maybe you've uh, you've gotten a little bit better maybe you've you've moved on to a new situation you're in a different environment now you're you've got a new life situation as you put it oh well, we can we can adapt to that as well um we can, we're we're your trauma we can adapt to anything and this is really this really great imagery around how hard it is to actually get through recovery how hard it is to actually heal how hard it is to move on beyond these things because they come with you and they change if they need to, to continue to come with you. Right. And, and they even make themselves useful to you. Like, like the right. wretch, the, the wretch right. is in some ways more useful than her power used to be. And metaphorically speaking, it's, it's like a, a traumatic pathology is usually um, adaptive in some way. Like that, that's why we develop traumatic patterns is that they're on some level self-protective. Mm-hmm. So, so they serve just just like a blob shaped force field is self protective, um, but the problem is they're self protective at the expense of uh, having a really high cost associated with them. Yeah, and I think I think actually that that's a good a good thought because I think we kind of get into that a little bit here when we see this whole confrontation with Veilfor. Victoria uses learned behavior based on her past trauma and her thing with Amy as a way to get through dealing with what Veilfor is doing to her. Mm-hmm. That's yeah, that's a great connection. So yeah, let's let's move on to to get there. Um so as Veilfor is approaching, but before he's actually reached them, she reflects on how she's missing a lot of understanding of how Chris works and she makes a mental note to figure things out with him and his power. Yeah, that's a pretty great uh, acknowledgement by our main character that she's kind of failed in her coaching of this dude so far. Mm-hmm. Um I really like the mental process that she goes through to to get to this consideration, though, because she goes through this idea where she says crises tend to highlight things. They brought out the best and worst of us, whether it was courage in the face of danger or our loved ones or craven behavior in the midst of desperation. They showed us who our friends were and how much they cared. I was getting a sense of things I really needed and wanted to work on with these guys and where our strengths as a team were. And yes, she's talking about Chris specifically here, but speaking generally um, we can draw comparisons to everything that happens throughout this chapter um, to yes, Chris, but, but Bob, 
Victoria, even Ashley, that 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 this is a crisis and it is highlighting the strengths and weaknesses in our team, in our own character, in our own grip on an understanding on who we are and what the mission is. Um, that's everything that's happening right now. Mm hmm. Yeah, um, definitely. We're going to be spending a lot of time paying attention to Victoria's, you know, reactions to everything throughout here, because I think it's particularly interesting what it's showing about her. Um, and like you said, she's using she's she's using this ongoing crisis as, as an opportunity to kind of take field notes about how she needs to coach her team. Yeah. Um, moving on to my favorite excerpt. You want a piece of me? Sidepiece screamed out the words. She put too much pitch in the higher sounds and managed to get some vocal fry in the mix. You've got to stop saying that, Disjoint said. I I know these are the bad guys, Matt, the, uh -huh. the bad guys, but I love them. I know. <laughs> I love them so much. Uh, Sidepiece is such a fun, weird, wonderful Wildbow character. In the classic sense of Wildbow characters, uh, they just kind of slot in perfectly there. Um, and I, I love the, the, the kind of back and forth with disjoint. I like this whole team. Like it's so funny. And I think we're going to dive into this a little bit later, but this entire like hollow point team that Ashley is now a part of, you could write a whole story about them and, yeah. and getting to know them and, and their interactions. There's something there and we're kind of only party to it in the background, but um, there's a lot there's a lot there kind of in the background. Yeah, that many of them are already well characterized. Yeah. And, yeah. and we like we like several of them. Um, we Like think of how many think of how much we know about Nailbiter just through sort of like secondhand right. things happening in the background. Yeah. And tune in in about 30 minutes when I compare them directly to the undersiders. <laughs> All right. So Veilfor takes advantage of their lack of understanding and freezes everyone in place with his voice. Various people try and find loopholes in his rules, in some cases succeeding for a moment before he gives them more restrictive orders. I really like how all this plays out in, in real time here. The, the slow realization that like kind of settles across the group of people that are now controlled, the, the desperation in the attempts to lash out against it. Like Victoria realized she's been stopped and like immediately like reverses direction and flies right at him. And, and of course she's only, she stopped before she gets to do anything. And I think, I think this gets into that dramatic irony. I know, and I know we said we weren't going to rehash that conversation, but I think this builds onto a new way in which you can use dramatic irony in fun ways because while we knew what Veilfor's power was, Wildbow smartly hid the details of it, hid um, what the power actually looks like when used. So we knew, okay, his power works by voice now instead of eyes. But we didn't, we didn't know, does this power work on everyone? Um, how does he single out who he's talking to? How does all this actually play out in a battle situation? And so what that does is like at the beginning of the chapter, we had this advantageous position where we knew something that the characters didn't. So we were kind of above the characters looking down on them and observing them. And that creates that that dramatic irony tension. But as soon as the shoe drops and, and, and Veilforce starts actually ordering them around, we get bumped right back on equal footing with our characters. We know and are learning things exactly as they do. So he kind of like achieves the best of both worlds here. We get the tension increasing dramatic irony while still um, get, getting pulled directly into the world and feeling like it's, it's playing out in front of us. And I think that's really cool. 
Yeah. And I think probably it's safe to say one of my favorite things about Wild Bow stories in general is watching the characters problem solve when the problem to be solved is something really creative and novel like this where mm-hmm. where we know like it's 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 terrifying too and Victoria is is terrified and we're sort of terrified on, on her behalf because we know how bad this could go and her and Ashley and other characters like you said are are trying things and every little everything they try is sort of like an experiment where they all learn something about a potential weakness or a potential limitation of what his power is and they're they're kind of bumbling their way through it but um it actually they're able to get out of the situation you know yeah, so yeah. we'll we'll get there though um yeah so so first veil for freezes everyone then he address, uh, addresses victoria directly he says he's upset that she didn't listen to mama's orders and now jay and nell are dead so that's that's our revelation that those guys are are dead bummer um motor, by a motorcycle um he begins specifically exerting pressure on her to serve him and the fallen. Uh, and, you know, basically he's making a play to kind of take her on, I guess. And this prompts her to start thinking about Amy in a loop. Yeah. And this is, I think, where we draw back to last week when we talked about um, how terrified Victoria was with the idea of mind control. Um, because it drives right back to her trauma. She's been mind controlled before. She's she's had Amy go into her head and she knows what that feels like. And she knows what it's like to not have control of where your mind goes. And on some level, she still doesn't have control over where her mind goes, right? Yeah. And, and and yeah, so like what Velfort does to all these people is terrible. Like this power on its own is just awful. But like it it's such it's so beyond a violation when you consider what Victoria has gone through that it's just like it, it serves to make you really, really dislike him. Yeah. And, and he goes further and he pats her face, which is the final indignity, which is enough to yeah. kind of emotionally push her over the edge and actually reveals kind of a weakness of, her, of of his power, which is that the wretch, which is kind of an autonomous, not really, you know, of her, not really under her conscious control, the wretch comes out and attacks on its own. Yeah. And the writing of this whole thing is so good. I Like, there's not even that much to to dive deep to and, and analyze here. But um, the writing is just it's just stellar. I love how mm-hmm. this is described. Um, and, and of course, we're, we're like like the, it's being very explicit and connecting Amy and Valefort here. Um, but this moment where he like patronizingly pats her on the cheek and, and we know we've talked about this before, like how aware and uncomfortable with touch and, and her body being touched Victoria is. So it, it, it completely makes sense from her character that this is kind of her final straw and I love how it's written. I love this. I tipped over the brink past the point where the use of my power was willful and wanted and to the point where it was something I had to hold back. In surrender rather than intent, I lashed out with fear and self-admiration and I let the rest loose with Valefor in arm's reach in that order. And that's, I mean, that's great, but I want to talk about that part for a minute, Matt, because that's what's really interesting to me is that Victoria is surrendering to the will of her shard at this moment, basically. Mm -hmm. Um, She's saying, I've tipped over past that point and I'm surrendering. Rather than being intentful here, I'm just surrendering it. But even as she used those words in surrender rather than intent, she still controls the order in which these things are released, which turns out to be super important because she releases her aura first and then the wretch. 
And she basically admits that had it been the other way around, had the wretch come before the aura, it would have gotten its hands on Valefor and possibly maybe would have killed him. Um, like we, I mean, we can extrapolate. We don't actually know, but it doesn't happen that way. She, she doesn't surrender in that way. It's aura first and then, and then wretch. Um, Yeah. I, I, I kind of view it as her preserving just enough warrior monkness to not just tear him in half. Yeah. Um, which she probably really feels like doing, but I, I think she's not. What's interesting is that she's a lot more under control than practically anyone else present um which is which is saying something like she she is in very little danger i think of snapping and killing someone the wretch might kill someone but I, that's different from her right. losing control of her self but even yeah but even i mean and i think you're right because even this is this is victoria losing control this is victoria stopping holding back and Mm -hmm. even in that moment even when she she releases her power in surrender she still does it in a controlled manner she still controls the the order that it comes out in and that ends up being important and i and i think i mean we're going to draw a connection between Victoria losing her shit in this moment and Ashley losing her shit at the end of this chapter. Um, and it's a very, it's a very direct line between these two different things that have two very different outcomes. And, and I think, I think that's why I wanted to set this up because this, this is very important that, that even in this moment where her, her shard basically for all intents and purposes takes over and that, 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 that drive within her shard becomes so powerful that she, she has to, she's not in control anymore. She still kind of is. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like that. I think that's accurate. So because she essentially gave Vale for a warning with her, with her aura, she, when she swipes out, she names the guy who was kind of helping Vale for, but doesn't really hurt Vale for. Um, she causes enough of a distraction that the hollow point capes are able to attack and apparently kill a couple of fallen before Valefor can regain composure and lock them down again. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, yeah, she didn't kill anyone, but someone did get a little hurt. But, you know, whatever. Um, Because Victoria is basically like 75% of the damage, right? Like, I can do 75% of what's done to me, I can do back. So, yeah, broken arm seems fair. This is, I actually like this comparison a lot here, because that's basically like she's doing kind of um, backwards looking justification because uh-huh. she's like, okay, I hurt this person, but, uh, I have my 75% rule. So we're good. Um, <laughs> but then, but, but Victoria is, is not, this is very, this is very similar to what Taylor was doing, right? Like Taylor would, would, would make a choice sometimes or do something in the moment and then look back and, and kind of justify it post fact, um, and say, well, this was okay because X, Y, Z, um, and Victoria kind of starts to do that here, but even she, because she's a very different person like that, that doesn't really hold a lot of water with her because like in this moment she's like, okay, but yeah, I really don't know what like 75% of severe mental trauma is as compared to physical trauma. So like, it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily work. Yeah. Right. Well, it's also, I don't know if it's entirely fair to, like these guys are trying to enslave and or kill her and her allies in this moment. So 
you have to, it, 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 it's a bit, it's a bit much to ask that she say, no, no, I'm only going to do 75% of what's done to me. It's like, okay, well, if they win the fight because you weren't willing to like hit hard enough, then I, I don't know what, I don't think you've done yourself a favor. Yeah. Um, I mean, no, I mean, personally break the dude's arm. I don't, yeah. I don't give a crap. Um, right. but, but she takes this hard because she, immediately tries to justify this and then she when she realizes that the the result of this is some of the fallen died because their distraction she created a bunch of people fought back and a few fallen died and and she immediately was like was that my fault did i is that because of me is like is that on me and she's much more conscious and aware of of those kind of the consequences of those things that she does yeah yeah she doesn't want to be like that right right um I do. I do. The one thing I really want to talk about here is this this experience with Amy, the the, the cyclical thought process she goes through, which in the text is te- text is literally written. Amy, 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 a wild, repetitive thought. This is what's going through her head right now. And even even as she's broken free, this is what's churning through her head. And, and this is she, she in this moment, she realizes that. The same thing she used to live for two years with the compulsion created by her sister, the compulsion created and put into her head by Amy, um, is the same thing that allows her to like get a handle on what serving Veilform means and allows her to push it to the side of her mind and not become the overall all-encompassing part of her mind. Yeah, it's really interesting how quickly she's able to dodge around and and kind of think of loopholes. And and I, I suspect a lot of that is because she has experience doing that. Yeah, yeah. Which I mean, which does go to what you're we talking about earlier that that our trauma uh, equips us in a certain mm-hmm. way to handle some things that we couldn't otherwise. Yeah. And and that's interesting because on the one hand we we want we, we like that's why I think like forgive does not mean forget right like you can use the things that you've been through you can use the terrible things that you've been through in order to become a stronger person but that doesn't mean they have to rule every aspect of you right yeah that's that's exactly right i mean all all, all almost all kinds of mental illness and and trauma are are sort of overcompensation for some some bad thing that happened and they they would have been an adequate protection if that thing were like a constant threat in your environment, but that's not really the way the world is and your brain doesn't understand that. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So Veilfor tells her to calm down and don't be clever. And this prompts her to go into a bit of a mental tangent about the PRT case files. Um, so basically she's, she's just kind of daydreaming practically. Um, so this is also though dropping some background info about how thinker masterminds and counter masterminds work, which might be relevant in this, in this part of the story. Yeah. I, I I give this moment the daily planet award for the most creative way to handle exposition in the history of literature. Yeah. So congrats ward chapter 5.10. Right. It's also, if it it. is exposition, it's subtle because we don't like it's, it's vaguely talking about this idea. Like, yeah, you know, at the high level you've got you've got thinker capes that are playing these elaborate invisible chess games and hmm it kind of seems like that might be what's going on here in the background yeah maybe so it's damsel great. at this point damsel is providing a lot of trouble to veil for she seems to have damaged her own artificial arm intentionally leaving her power to fire off sporadically which jostles her around and breaks the spell each time she moves veil 4 
is annoyed with her and tells her to kill her friends. So she immediately turns to Nailbiter and Side Beasts, but then pauses and looks at Victoria. <gasps> Matt. <gasps> she looked she looked at Victoria. Are they friends, Matt? Are they, are they friends? Victashley. Vic <laughs> um, I, I think this is a really fun way to use language, though. And and we, we've seen again and again that, that Veilfor's power is kind of like monkey's paw-ish, right? Where it's like the control only manifests in a super specific strict interpretation of the command given. So it's like it, almost in a tricky way to where if you're not very, very specific and clear, um, it could it could go different ways. And I think that's what we're seeing here. Like she she says you're friends and it allows the text to kind of extrapolate out okay well who are ashley's friends and i think we'll see here that that she looks at nailed biter and side piece she does actually consider these people friends Mm -hmm. like that is that is a legitimate thing that these she's been with this group for i guess a few days now right i i maybe as long as a week um that she's been embedded with these guys not sure yeah, I'm not sure what the timeline is, but 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 on the, on some point she is bonded with these characters. Um, but then we also we also get to see that she hesitates and looks at Victoria. And there's I think there's two different ways you can actually read this hesitation, Matt. Um, you can read it as as what I, I think it probably is, which is just like, oh yeah, I like this person too. Like those are like the Victoria is there also. But I, I wonder if part of it is like kill your friends. She looks towards Nailbaiter and side piece. There's like, okay, friends identified time to kill now. And then there's this moment of hesitation, this moment of struggle inside her. And in that moment of struggle, she makes eye contact with Victoria, who is a person that seems to understand her better than a lot of other people do. And I find that really interesting too. Yeah. I feel like Ashley has this low key admiration for victoria and feeling of of identification and connection with victoria that yeah she's maybe sort of even in denial about um and also there's the fact that she may be nail biter and um side pieces friend on some level but also she knows that she's deceiving them which is so there's a certain distance there um, that's true so i wouldn't be surprised if she did actually feel more kinship and closeness with victoria yeah yeah i mean it is i guess kenzie's not there but we don't see her look anywhere else yeah i mean sveta's here she doesn't look at sveta mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> or poor sveta yeah <laughs> so so is so is uh capricorn oh, mm-hmm. well. um and then into the midst of all this jumps introspection chris <laughs> revealing his apparent immunity to veil for um he, he tosses damsel out of range but the fallen rush in to dogpile him. Yep, Chris is just being the hero here, saving us for this tense truth or dare situation where Ashley has to reveal who her real friends are. <laughs> that was very cleverly dodged. Good job, Chris. Yeah. So Victoria decides to interpret her order to help Veilfor by grabbing him and flying him away to safety, depositing him on a rooftop. I helped. <laughs> nice job, Victoria. Um so Matt, before we move on, before we like get on to the next big thing, I wanted to talk about Veilfor for a bit, and I wanted to to connect Veilfor to what I think is one of Wildbow's greatest strengths as a writer, because I think he illustrates that pretty well. Um, Veilfor, as as represented in text, is like this pitch perfect metaphor for um, the reality of of being in a cult, 
um, th- this idea that the words of a cult, the, the the power of words in a cult to to influence you and to brainwash you and to just just by addressing you, you can you can you can trick your mind into following those orders. Um, mm-hmm. Veilfor works as a perfect metaphor. He he does, and that's great. But in this world, and in this story, Veilfor also exists as a real threat, and. I think in a lot of a lot of stories, especially like genre fiction like this, the power used as a metaphor thing um, would just be explored in its metaphor sense and then just kind of pushed aside. But wild to Wildbow, it's also a literal power. So so just defining its metaphorical intent is not enough for him. So he dives into the literal as well. So we get to, we get to intimately understand the benefits of the power. We get to understand the limitations of the power. We get to see that while on the surface, this is a awfully powerful thing. It's not all powerful. Veilfor can be beaten. He can be out outsmart smarted the and I, I do think that this is where Wildbo separates himself from a lot of other genre fiction that I've read that like he is interested, interested in, in the power and the person and the character as metaphor, but also as a real thing in his real world. And that's what creates the the reality of the world. That's what what allows it to work on the metaphorical level, but also exist in what feels like a real world. And he does that in a way that the real world portion portion doesn't like contradict or destroy the metaphor portion as well. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. That's, that's really awesome. Um, like, like here you end up with a very sort of concrete sense of what Veilfor can and can't do. And you can generally say that about most powers in worm, you know, in fact, any power you, that you spend time with, you end up with a, a very firm impression of what it can and can't do. Yeah. Um, which, which is, more fun and also gets you more immersed in the problem solving aspect of it because you can't really connect to the problem solving aspect that I was referring to earlier unless you grasp what the problem is and you grasp the steps on the way to the solution. And um, so, so yeah, like that's, it works on, like you just said, both of those levels, the, the, uh, Oh, this is, this is fun kind of to put myself in this position and work through this problem with the character. And also I can take this purely metaphorical and it works incredibly well yeah yeah and it's i think it's really hard to make it work on the literal level without kind of damaging your metaphor but i think wildbow pulls it off here Mm -hmm. and i think actually in veilfor's uh case the literal enhances the metaphor because if we if we treat veilfor as seductive words the the brainwashing power of words in a cult we also through the literal have just made it clear that this is not an unbeatable thing that 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 brainwashing can be overcome that that just because you've been stolen and brainwashed and and manipulated by this cult doesn't mean that it's forever doesn't mean that recovery is not possible and that's central to ward so far right that's the things we're exploring is it possible so i think this is one not only does the literal not damage the metaphor but i think i think exploring the limitations of the power and really getting into the nitty-gritty of how this power works serves to only enhance the metaphorical side of it yeah exactly because you can you can imagine being part of some doesn't even have to be a cult it can even just be i mean the the boy scouts you know just any situation where you're being asked to be away or or do a thing that you don't really want to do or isn't really true to you 
you'll usually find some way of telling yourself a story about how you can either not obey the letter of the law or, you know, weasel around it. And the mental maneuvering feels very much like what Victoria is describing here when she's like blatant, she's blatantly disobeying the spirit of his order. Like she, she, she's aware that she's blatantly disobeying the spirit of his order, but she knows that she has to carry out the letter of the order so she just figures out a way to do that and then she does it. <laughs> yep. And yeah, that's, you're right. That's what we all do, I think, in different ways. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. So the misfit toys get away from the fight and they take stock. Chris is missing a leg and Sveta needs to resettle herself in her shell. They check for anything remaining for any remaining compulsions, but it seems inconclusive whether they find any. Oh good. Yeah. Victoria then reaches out to Bob's group and proposes they work together going forward. Bob says no, and things get heated between him and Ashley. She is undermining him with the group, and he really doesn't like it. Love Lost communicates that she actually agrees with Bob's teammates, which probably rankles with him even more. Yeah, and I I think it's important to remember that this is what Ashley is supposed to be doing, right? Um, that, That rankling the leadership of the Fallen is or not sorry of of the ho- hollow point team is part of her mission here and and to remember that specifically we have to go back to the last chapter and when victoria was attempting to calm ashley down the way she did it was to compliment her on how much she was pissing off bob yeah and and how much it was working like she said you're pissing him off he's pissing me off but i'm getting to him good i said so not only is this her job, but she was just encouraged to keep it up last chapter by Victoria. And I'm not I'm not trying to say that Victoria is in any way culpable for what happens with Ashley in this chapter. But the events of Bob getting pushed so far where he lashes out against Ashley were were part of the plan. Like it was part of what was supposed to happen. Yeah, which just... is just which is just a way of a roundabout way of me getting to the point of. This was a bad plan. <laughs> yeah, there was something wrong with putting the vulnerable person who wants to be a villain in with the villains. Uh, no. Yeah. No. <laughs> That's n- we've never seen that fail before. Um. Okay, moving on. Victoria, at Kenzie's prompting, flies up to get a peek at the hostages. She thus misses the lead up to what happens next. Bob strikes Damsel in the face, and then she stands up and, seeming to be consumed with rage, removes his torso bits. Oh. You well, stop, he's... she said. That, yeah. Ashley. Yeah. I think my literal reaction was, oh, no. Yeah. Oh, no. This is, I mean, like you said, this is, this is a narrative-defining event for our, all of our main characters. Yeah. And... One of the things that's going to be really interesting is seeing what the fallout of all this is. Um, we kind of get a, a, a hint of it in the next chapter, but we don't really get to explore it yet. Yeah, no, but even as this chapter concludes, you're like, yes, plot. Just picking yes. up the delicious plot juices. <laughs> Just knowing that, you know, because your mind immediately explodes with all the potential directions this could take for all the different characters and right. what it means. Yeah, and you had some some theories about what you think the the chapter is specifically doing to setting up set up where we think this is going to go, right? Yeah, or or at least to get us thinking about these things. So, like for example, number one, 
Kinsey just before this explicitly says she's not peeking. Like so she explicitly knows that there's no footage of this event. Mm-hmm. The text did not accidentally remind us there's no yeah. footage. Yeah, that was not that was not a, an oops accidental yeah. reminder of that. You're absolutely right. Right. N- number two, Victoria didn't actually see what led up to this. Like she saw he punched her and she reacted. She didn't see whether Ashley said anything to him. I mean, she was kind of in the vicinity and the other capes were there, but Victoria didn't really she wasn't really there when it happened. Um are you suggesting some sort of plausible deniability? Uh, perhaps perhaps there's a case to be made for uh, I don't know what, what really happened. <laughs> Who knows what really happened? Number 3, Ashley's power is going haywire. This has been established. She's she's shooting it off in all directions, stumbling around. Someone could at least plausibly claim that this was a misfire. They could they could do that. I mean, we know it wasn't, but you could plausibly claim it. <laughs> Uh, and furthermore, number four, you could at least credibly claim that Ashley is still operating under a compulsion. Um, for example, that perhaps Bob was her friend and the compulsion caused her to shoot him because she succumbed to, to the compulsion at that moment. The I think number four is actually the most likely to serve as like a straight face excuse. Um, and plus, you don't have a video of it, so you can't really say, you know, you can't really fully contradict that. Yeah, I think I think the general point of what you're saying is is that the story is intentionally setting up these very clear beats of if the wagons circle around Ashley, she could get away with this. Yes. And I, you're, you're absolutely right. I completely agree. These are not accidents. Um, I think this is going to be a real test for our team, but for Victoria specifically, what is the reaction to this going to be? What is the long term? And I think as we as we see in going into the next chapter, like the realization that Victoria kind of comes to as she observes Ashley and 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 what needs to be done to actually get Ashley to a place where she's better, you start to see how she could get herself mentally to a point where you could excuse or explain away the behavior in a way that would 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 make her cement her as part of that wagon circling yeah right that that was the main thing i was interested to see where we would go with this in the the next chapter and i can only assume in in the subsequent chapters Mm -hmm. because victoria like it seems there were two obvious pathways she could have gone from this moment she could have immediately been like all right ashley is a villain now she you know I, i am not on her side she has done something, you know, capital letters bad, and I'm a hero, and so I have to take her in now. Or she could have gone down the route of, I need, I need this team thing to work. I, I need it so badly that I'm actually willing to bend over backwards and delude myself about it. It's hard to see her deluding herself about something like that. But what's interesting is that the the path she actually appears to take is I think more nuanced than I was even imagining before we get to chapter 11. Um, yeah. So with, let's get into 5.11 actually. Let's do it. Let's do it. So everyone reacts to what Ashley's done. Disjoint seems the most shocked of the villains. Sidepiece, used to being covered in gore, is mainly concerned that she wasn't paid yet. And Nailbiter is silent and watchful. 
um, the uh, Victoria challenges Ashley verbally. Yeah, and uh, Capricorn is kind of like shocked too. Sveta is like really pissed off at her. There's this really great moment throughout all this where Ashley is like triumphantly putting uh, her her foot on the corpse of Bob on Bob's head. Yeah, and Sveta's like, "Stop that! Stop that, please!" Yeah. Um, even if he wasn't a great person, he was human. He deserves common decency. And and. Ashley, to her credit, does it. She steps back and there's this really great imagery of of a dusty print on Beast of Burden's forehead with some rocks settled into the corner of his eye by the bridge of his nose. Like this, this like this covered in, in dust and the footprint and, and the earth, like the, this conquered villain. Um, I love that imagery, but it also serves to kind of represent how how uh, how rough sveta is taking this that even like that moment is like you're going too far even in your posturing it's it's too much right yeah and and the fact that like little tiny things like the fact that ashley actually removes her foot and doesn't remark on it like she isn't like she doesn't bite back you know she isn't like oh weakling this is this is the uh, you know callousness is the true way to be as a very human she just kind of does it she just she just does what Sveta asks, right? Um, because she she does care about Sveta, and yeah. furthermore, aside from caring about Sveta, I think she respects Sveta's input and is like, yeah, okay, you're right. You know, that's that's not that's not a good thing to do, and right? I, and, and I shouldn't do that. Um, and and we get this moment; it kind of develops into everyone is distracted by the fighting in the distance from all the other heroes and and some of the undersiders, and. Uh, Victoria sees on the other side of things while everyone else turned to look at the shifting reds and blues and greens my focus was on Ashley I saw something in her expression as she looked at Sveta then at Capricorn and finally met my eyes it was fleeting spooked more like how an ordinary person might look if they were at the mercy of ex-Slaughterhouse-9 member Damsel of Distress than Damsel of Distress herself um and yeah, yeah like like we're seeing some combination of a crack into how Ashley actually feels or you know the better the better nature of Ashley shining through for a moment while you know she's distracted from her damsel persona and seeing that that while her her rage and her shard may have taken over for a second she's not happy about this yeah yeah the, and and this I think this serves to directly contrast when uh when we looked into ashley's eyes at the moment she kills bob and victoria says i didn't see anything resembling ashley in her eyes so Mm -hmm. we're we're looking into her eyes and seeing two complete distinct things which draws the comparison between those two moments rather distinctly Um, it, it serves to say definitively when she killed bob she was not in her right mind she was not her um now in this moment after the fact she seems more like a victim than she does uh, the the killer. Yeah. Um, and that, and, and you're right. That is extremely important. And, and this is why, this is where I want to go back to our uh, drawing our comparison between Victoria and Ashley in these moments, because they both, they both were in the course of last chapter driven to a point that they lashed out against the people attacking them. Uh, Victoria was, was, kind of driven to her breaking point by the mind control and she let her power out in a violent way. Um, Ashley did the same thing. Uh, 
we don't know Ashley's trigger event yet, the source of her trauma. And yeah, I, everyone, I know there's a, there's a word of God for that. I, I know, but, um, as I've said before, the story has not told us that definitively yet. So it has not become, it has not been revealed in the story yet. And therefore I have to treat it like it doesn't exist yet. Um, that's just my policy, but I, I know that exists. So, uh, but, but the point is that the story has not revealed that yet. So, but we do know that, that what Valefor was doing to Victoria was, was tapping directly into her past trauma. So I think it's reasonable to assume, uh, until we're specifically told later that what Bob was doing here to Ashley was pushing against her or tapping into, um, her past trauma in some way. Um, I think yeah. that's a reasonable assumption to make. Yeah, I, I think so. I think, I, I, I think that's, that's kind of where my mind went also. And just, yeah, the, the way you, you kind of need look no further than the way she, the way she reacts to him kind of keeping her down and then, and then hitting her unprovoked. It just seems like a, a natural culmination in pushing all of her buttons. Yeah. 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 And, and so the difference between these two attacks then is that Victoria had just, just a little bit more control in the release of her power. She controlled that release of her power just a little bit more. And of course the difference is that Ashley's power is kind of inherently more destructive uh, than Victoria's. It's just kind of the way her power was built and the way she was rebuilt um, as a clone. But I think that's really important because these two characters are very close together and they both just went through these really bad things and one person took it a little bit further than the other and that has changed everything now and i think we're going to see as we move through this thing that that victoria on some level becomes aware of this this close this tied in closeness between the two of them and and between their issues and i think that is what really drives um this this kind of shattering of the black and white nature into the shades of gray mm-hmm. for her yeah and the thing, sorry, go ahead. Sorry. No, 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 you go ahead. The the thing that I like about while this is happening, while we're kind of like, like battling for the soul of Ashley, it's like in the air and we're not sure what's going to happen next. Her power keeps misfiring. So like we have this person that, uh, that is like barely maintaining control over themselves literally while we're seeing this inner turmoil happening as a result of these things that they did. So it's the perfect way of the, the physical, like reflecting the mental here. Um, and also she's like, she's like posturing big time. Like she's like putting her foot up on, on Bob, like a, like a conquered bad guy. And she's like talking about the end of the world. And like, this is how things are now. People just don't understand. Like, this is what happens now. And, and meanwhile, as she's doing this, her power keeps flaring uncontrollably and she's losing her balance. And, and it just shows like this, this, this torn nature of herself that even as she's posturing her, her body is revealing what's going on yeah, inside she's, her. Yeah. She's, she's literally and figuratively off balance. Um, yep. And, and, and also, um, sorry, I blanked on what I was going to say. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, so yeah. So, so at this point, Capricorn and Sveta tried to talk to her. Uh, but it's difficult to do so while preserving any illusion that she doesn't know them because they're still mm-hmm. kind of trying to keep the ruse up. 
Victoria ruminates on the idea of traumas that demand attention and tie everything back into themselves. She understands Capricorn and Sveta's reaction of, of disappointment and anger, but she also understands Ashley more than either of them, I think. She, she recognizes a fellow human whose trauma is too big and, and pulls everything else into it. Yeah. And I think this ties into the link that we, we just made above that the, the comparison between these two people, this is Victoria acknowledging to herself and to us that, that what we talked about above is, is in fact true. Um, so, so we're, we're in the middle of kind of trying to figure out what Victoria's response to this whole thing is going to end up being. Um, what is, what is her response? What's going to happen in the next chapter in the next arc or, or whenever the consequences of, of Ashley's action here truly, truly come to bear. We have to remember this. We have to remember that, Victoria has just kind of realized how similar they are and how alike they are and how close, how close she was to almost making a very similar mistake. Yeah. And, 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 and also the things in her life that she does to keep herself from, from making that mistake, the, the, the things she goes through, the things she wrestles with internally to keep herself from losing the control and making that same mistake. And, and she realizes this and she's like, maybe for the first time says I could possibly actually help this girl. Yeah. Right. I think, you know, Capricorn is angry. Sveta is disappointed, but I think what's what Victoria feels among other things is, is pity because she's seeing yeah. someone like herself, but, but actually not handling it as well. And, uh, and, and, and part of that, you know, part of that pity is the condescension that in, in the positive sense of the word that she wants to, she actually might want to help Danzel even more now, which is, which is, I don't know if that's true or not, but you can at least, you can at least believe that she before uh, before this happened almost it seems like she might have identified with damsel less which is which is very very strange yeah well i mean because it's like damsel to her was a, a slaughterhouse nine member and yeah. a clone of like and and victoria's sense of of right and wrong were very strict and I think out of all the people remember that when, when Victoria got, got knows that something was going on wrong in this group, one of the first people she approaches is Ashley. And Ashley is one of the first ones that tells her, Hey, there are people in this group way worse than me. Mm-hmm. But so I think, I think she kind of assumed that maybe I could, I could, she assumed a certain path to making Ashley into the good person and I think it was one that was very different from her own personal problems. And I think she now has seen more of herself in Ashley here than she had in the past. Yeah, that's thanks for putting that together. That makes sense out of what I was trying to say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, cool. So, yeah, th- this thought process of Victoria's culminates in her asking Damsel to submit herself to the hero's custody. Uh, and I really, I really love this moment. This yeah. is Victoria's like weighing the options, trying to figure out what to do. And this is the choice she makes. And, and it's just like you said, without, without even knowing what Ashley's trauma is, she recognizes that is a trauma that is too big. Mm -hmm. And she knows that when it's this big, it it sucks everything into it. It's, it's, she describes it as like gravity. Mm -hmm. 
And Victoria knows that what helps her, what she does, is the only thing that you can do in situations like that is to reach out, talk to people, get a different perspective, get a different perspective. And there's that there's that word perspective again, Matt. It's mm-hmm. it seems to be so, so, so important to the story so far. The idea of differing perspectives is is one of the central themes that have run through most of these chapters. And here it is again. Mm-hmm. But Victoria also realizes that not everyone is equipped to handle your trauma. Not everyone is equipped to see it, to understand it, and to offer that different perspective you need in these moments. And as she's weighing what to do, she scans over Ashley's friends. She looks at side piece. She looks at nail biter. She looks at disjoint. She looks at all these people standing around Ashley. And she knows that if she stays with these people, if she stays here, they won't offer her that perspective she needs. If she stays with these people, they wouldn't judge her for the thing she just did. Um, they, they, they would, they would support her and they would understand maybe, um, but, but they wouldn't judge her. And this got me thinking, this is, this is our, this is our connection to the undersiders, Matt, because, uh-huh. because ta- Taylor joined a villain group with the pretense of spying on them as a hero and then found herself connected to these people. And these people, we talked about it during worm served as kind of enablers of some of her behavior. Like they welcomed her for the first time. They made her feel home. And as she did different things, they were very supportive of her and they, they were with her to the end, no matter what. And they enabled that kind of behavior that led to Taylor going down a very dark and corpse filled road. And I think it's so great that Victoria sees that in Ashley in this moment and says, Hey, you gotta, you gotta get out of there. Like you, you need to reach out, you need people, but it can't, it can't be these people. Yeah. She's very clear in her mind that this ruse needs to be over right now. Yeah. Um, and I like specifically her language also that she's everyone is angry and, and tense. And she says, I'd like you to turn yourself in and submit yourself into our custody, which is like the most like like you're talking to an angry dog type of language. Like like mm-hmm. I would like you to not like I demand or immediately, you know, you've committed a murder. Please turn yourself in. It, it It's 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 downright soothing. And um and it just reflects how she's she's trying to be very gentle with Ashley in this moment. Um, yeah. Plus, and, it's and really trying to get her to to actually do it. You know, <laughs> right. really trying to get her to come over and and it speaks a lot to Ashley's character at this point and and you know how she's developed that basically she finds a way of sort of complying in a way that's acceptable to her because. She does choose to leave the battlefield, but not with the heroes. She has the excuse that her arm needs to be fixed. Um, but I, I, yeah. mean, I think that's just a cover for her wanting to get out of there. Yeah, uh, which is which is it's good because it's she gets away from the other group, which is good. But yeah, it's still not still not great. Um, I, the thing I like about the, the that wording is. We found a way for Victoria to come to a decision regarding Ashley without like fully exploring what that decision is, because like come with us into our custody does not mean 
you're going to you're going to now have to face punishment via the legal system via a formal controlled system for what you've done. That's not necessarily what it means. It just means you got to come with us now. And what what the rest of the misfit toys, what Victoria is going to do in the long term with what happened to to Ashley still remains unknown, even though she's kind of dealt with it in the short term and come to come to a realization in the short term. Yeah, I mean, you're exactly right, because you can even imagine a scenario where Victoria, you know, goes full aggressive justice mode and like takes Ashley to, you know, Chevalier and 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 and, and Miss Militia and Chevalier and Miss Militia are like, yeah, you know, a lot of people were getting killed out there. <laughs> it was used to say what exactly happened. Look, we don't want to do the paperwork and there's too much shit going on and we just want she says she's going to be a hero all right we're going to give her another <laughs> chance you know like you can imagine that that happening because there is no prt there is no oversight there is no right. you know pigo like demanding blood um I, i'm not saying i think this is what's going to happen i'm just saying like it's it, it is absolutely not clear what victoria's decision is just because she says turn yourself over to us i agree with you yep which I which I think saves it for mm-hmm. the aftermath of this fight, which I think is great because we still have this whole conflict to deal with. We've still got a lot of stuff to do with Rain and Aaron and Mama Mathers. We've still got all this stuff to deal with. Um, we're not really ready emotionally to handle what Ashley has just done yet. So we've yeah. kind of said, okay, we're going to deal with it a short term and then we're going to put it aside and, oh, we'll be coming back to this. You better be sure. But uh, right. that's for a little bit later. Yeah, Totally. So yeah, Victoria joins up with Sveta and Capricorn, and they run into Chris on their way toward Valefor. Chris is feeling gabby because the world is full of ghosts and gaping wounds with things peering out through the holes. Um, according to him, it's not the coolest. <laughs> yeah, um, and this is when we get to finally start to learn a little bit more about Chris, because it's almost like Victoria paid attention to herself and has started to pay attention to him a mm-hmm. little bit more as well. Um, he explains that... The reason why his form was immune to Veilfor was that it kind of literally, well, not literally, it, it separates his mental thought process from the body, from the control of his body. So they just weren't really connected anymore. So he just kind of gave gave his form loose orders mm-hmm. and and let it go, which is which is a cool little detail and explains why he would be immune to that kind of control. Right. And and also just little details about how he, he kind of jokingly but not jokingly refers to himself as a genius because <laughs> it's kind of obvious that his powers are not just physical. They're also sort of thinker powers along right. the lines of whatever the theme of the form is, which is yeah. neat and not something I'd really considered before. No, no. And and this is I mean, this like this whole this is more information that we've got on Chris in like forever. Right. Yeah. Because um, now we've learned. I mean, I is your interpretation of this that he maybe caught a glimpse of Mama Mathers and that's why he's seeing the 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 flesh holes. So, <laughs> yeah, like currently I'm thinking we're being kept in a state of uncertainty on purpose because it could just be that Mama Mathers can do more stuff than we're certain of and this could all be Mama Mathers mm-hmm. or there could be more than one cape with a as Chrissy words it as, as Chris words it fucky power um <laughs> which which yeah. would cause a similar you know type of thing we I, I think we just don't actually know for sure but I guess my right. suspicion is that it is Mama but I, I could be wrong yeah well we know for a fact that there's also like a dust snow-esque thing happening right now 
yeah. um, that is dampening all thinker powers. That's like the anti-thinker measure. So that's something presumably different from Mama Mathers. Um, but yeah, you're right. We we don't we don't know yet, but it seems like that could be what we're what we're moving towards. Yeah. Um, I I I really liked speaking beyond his just his powers. We, we're learning more about Chris himself finally here, mm-hmm. because we get another beat of him explaining that the, like this is why he wants to be on the front lines. This is why he wants to be fighting with the big boys because he can do stuff like this. And and when when Capricorn scoffs at him for that, his response is, "Hey, we're all special cases, Cap. Just look at what Ashley did." Like. We're all this screwed up. There's no reason why I shouldn't get to be here when the rest of you are. And that's kind of really, really true. Yeah. Um, and, and this is also the second beat of Chris kind of showing his urgency and his demand to be included, to be at the front, to be active and fighting and using his power. And this this reminded me of our, our conversation last week when we talked about um Chris and ha- how it might it might end up being difficult to tell the difference between what is uh, a reaction or a behavior caused by some emotional power wonk stuff versus this is who his character is and this is the things he values and the things he wants and I think this now that we've hit this beat multiple times with him reeling from completely different emotional forms. I think this is Chris, this, this desire, this want to be on the front line, this want to be flexing his power and being used and, and, and being effective in battle is, is a Chris trait, not a, a emotional reaction to a certain power. I think that makes sense because there's nothing that strikes me as being particularly dark introspection about that sentiment yeah. So I think it, like I guess you could say anytime he expresses a sentiment that that is obviously not just a product of whatever the state was, then you can be pretty sure that's sort of more core to him. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So Victoria sneaks toward the cluster of fallen with their with the hostages and she ends up fighting a couple of pretty strong fallen capes. One of them creates smoke of thorny glass. And the other has a suite of power dampening powers. Victoria spars with the smoke glass woman and loses a substantial amount of her flight and her aura to the dampening effect. Yeah, these these powers are both pretty cool. And I think this fighting is all pretty cool. But what I like the most about it is how Wildbow uses these things to reduce Victoria to just her wretch. It's it's a very clever narrative technique to get it down to just Victoria and wretch, because especially considering in this moment, She's reeling from what happened with with Ashley and she's very much in a in a I am worried about the big picture mode right now. Like she's very much being big picture. What is what is going to happen now? What does this mean about our mission? What does this mean about my role? What does this mean about the world? What does this mean? And she's kind of lost in that big picture right now. And. In this moment where she's saying, I wanted things to be better. And right now they weren't. The story forces her to deal with her wretch exclusively. It forces her into a point where she has to has to use her wretch exclusively because it's all she has. Yeah. And this is one of those awesome story moments where you feel like things have been building toward this. Yeah. Because she's in this bind. She's sort of cornered and she tries to talk to the wretch. She, she's urging it to work with her. 
Um, and the rest just isn't very smart and it's mostly reacting to reagitation and just kind of tearing stuff apart. But it does successfully throw a chunk of wood at the glass smoke cape's face and kind of knocks her down. So it does something. Yeah. Yeah. And, and Victoria is not sure whether it's, it was that specifically, or it just so happened that it was moving forward right when the shield was popped. So it just kind of carried momentum, but it doesn't matter. I think, I think this is huge no matter which way that happened because she's confronting it. She's talking to it forced into a corner, stripped of the rest of her power. She, she faces and reasons with the wretch. She deals with it and she uses it. And, and yeah, she, she clearly doesn't have any real control over it, but it kind of listens to her. Yeah. I mean, it's, they're, they're working sort of toward the same ends. It's just that it obeys her feelings and her, in her uh, instincts, I think, and not her, you know, rational mind. Um, So, you know, that's you know basically why it slashed moose across the face even though she wasn't really trying to hurt moose yeah but in this situation yeah. they're both kind of savvy to the fact that they're that they're in a more dire situation so victoria is okay with nailing somebody in the head with a piece of wood even though she does <laughs> ask if they're okay afterward yeah that's very adorable is, yeah. are they okay yeah um so yeah so this got me thinking because we, we talk about how we worry that Victoria isn't really dealing with her issues. We talk about how this whole misfit toys thing is, a, is just a method for her to run away from her issues and, and dive into dealing with other people's issues. This, this, this reflects that whole dynamic between wants and needs and, and what Victoria wants versus what Victoria needs. And we worry that right now she's chasing what she wants to avoid what she needs. However, there's something to be said for putting yourself in a situation like this that forces you to confront your issue head on because you're in, you're trapped in a corner, you're in a life or death situation and you are forced to confront your issue head on. And that's kind of what happens here. So I, 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 while, while I do think that Victoria has a whole slew of problems that will not be solved merely by her continuing to remain on this team, that's not to say it doesn't have its advantages. It's not to say that that part of this experience has not forced her into a situation where she must reckon with this other part of her. Yeah, I, I think it's I think you're right. It's we we may have not been fair, perhaps, to to this idea that like, yeah, she's she's had she she's used the wretch a few times in the course of the story. At first, it was like completely grudgingly and, and minimizing it and not really acknowledging that that's what she was even doing, even in her own thoughts. Then she gradually has worked up toward confronting what it is and kind of looking more at it, thinking about how to use it more intelligently. And now we're at this point where she's she's saying, work with me, work with me, you know, that that, yeah. that, that, that means a lot. That's a lot of growth. Yeah. So So, yeah, I just... I want to make sure that this wants and needs conflict and even chasing your wants at the expense of your needs can still have some positive effects on her. I I still think that she's got a whole bunch of other stuff she needs to deal with, but I'm glad that at least some of this is, is helping her. Yeah. Yeah, me too. So here at the end, the two fallen teleport away 
and Victoria joins Capricorn and Sveta with a whole mess of capes, including Rain and March's group, facing off against the core of the strongest fallen capes. The hostages, including Aaron, writhe on the ground, losing their minds. Uh, I love how that's played out, though, right? That, mm-hmm. like, like our fear was always that the hostages were their final card to play, that when they were the most desperate, and Rain and March being here forces them to play it. And it's cool because, like, we had been dealing with with Vale 4 and with the Fallen and with this whole war so much, I kind of sort of forgot about Rain for a little bit. And then you go into the end of this chapter where you're like, oh, yeah, this whole other thing hasn't really developed yet. Yeah. Yeah, right. There's And, and plus, we we also haven't checked in on the Undersiders in a long time. Right. And, and, and the, the, you know, the, the Wardens. So, yeah, yeah this is... Got a lot we got a lot to wrap up and there's a lot of war left great. <laughs> yeah yeah i i've really enjoyed this battle so far i've enjoyed the mixture of action with character moments with with character beats this it's, it's a really good mix the, even when we dive into action a lot we don't stay in it very long there there hasn't been a chapter we've covered in this arc that is just an action chapter you know yeah. um that hasn't happened and I think that's really cool that we're we're mixing these two things very, very well. Yeah, I think this is partly because of who Victoria is and how even when she's in action, she's sort of monitoring her herself. Yeah, that warrior monk. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. So that, that wraps up the discussion of the chapter. Uh, quick, quick, quick bit of name game. Um, we could probably do more, but I think I just wanted to talk about disjoint for a second. Um, just one of those like, fairly literal where basically they sort of teleport their limbs around and, and can do like uh, essentially telekinesis by teleporting their limbs or hands or whatever. It's, it's funny. We don't really get to see much of what this power is exactly. We just get the name and then a couple of descriptions of what they're doing. And uh, yeah, I, I think yeah. it's cool that the name actually kind of gives us information about what the power is. Yeah. Um, yeah, I didn't have much more to say about that actually. No, but that it's it's a it's a cool little effective one. Um sometimes the names don't have to be super complicated. Right, yeah. Did yeah. we did we ever do Beasts of Burden? This feels like a a good time to say Yeah. Say goodbye the, to our friend Bob. This is a good time, yeah. Um yeah, I, I like that one because he he is this kind of vicious, almost animalistic guy. Mm-hmm. So using beast in the name makes some some degree of sense. Um and he had like a horned helmet, so that also, you know goes with the theme um yeah but it's interesting because like a a beast of burden is like a work animal right it's like a mule it's like a thing a pack horse or pack mule like it's not it's not something you'd normally attach to like a super powerful right deadly thing yeah and it gives the impression of someone who's like put upon and yeah and you know just the word burden has the connotation of like an unwanted uh, thing that you have to lug around yeah um, and it's interesting we never really learned exactly what his power is although I, I like the speculation that basically he can just lift anything without regard to how how heavy it is and so he that uses would, that to just lift like tank armor basically and that would fit the name yeah so like underneath his body is just as as soft as anything else but he's able to lift things so yeah doesn't help at all when you have a power which tw- cuts through reality itself yeah it's also a rolling stone song that's pretty good yeah that's good it's good choice 
Bob, rest in peace. Rest in rest, peace, buddy. Yeah, rest in pieces. Sorry about your whole middle of yeah. you. Yeah, you know they they can probably fix that. Oh uh, yeah, it's just get get him to Amy. He'll yeah. be fine. Yeah, right. All right. So discussion questions for this week. Um, here we go. How should Ashley be punished for the murder of Bob if she should at all? Why? Um, yes, and please note that we're not asking you to predict how the story will punish her, but rather what you think it should be. Though feel free to predict if you like. Yeah, yeah, that's just so. What 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 do you think? What do you think the consequences of this should be? And I I want to hear your answer, Matt. Not today, obviously. But um, <laughs> oh, I I have an answer. Let me uh, assure you. I think they're stalling for time. That's what I think you're doing. <laughs> but for now. <laughs> <laughs> That's all we got for you this week on We've Got Ward. Remember that you guys are all part of the show now, so feel free to provide us with advice, questions, or thoughts on this week's reading. You can reach us via email at gotwormpod at gmail.com or over on Twitter at gotwormpod, where I will still do my chapter reads uh, every time the new chapter comes out. Um, usually the ones on the weekend are really hard for me. I've kind of just fallen into doing those on Monday now, which this week wasn't great because that meant I had to read it and then analyze it all in one day. Um, but it was Easter weekend. It was, it was, it was a long weekend. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, that was harder than usual. Yeah. Uh, my personal Twitter is at Scott daily 85 and Matt's is at Valefordale. That's right. If you're not already subscribed to we've got ward, we strongly recommend you do so and never miss an episode. You can find us on iTunes, YouTube, Stitcher, Google play, and pretty much anywhere else in the world. You can listen to podcasts. As always, you can find this, all the other podcasts we do, and all of our writing essays, film, and TV criticism, and more at dailyplanetfilms.com. This week, uh, the Daily Planet podcast has taken a week off. We're taking a break. Uh, it was Easter weekend, and we couldn't find time to record, so we said, let's take some time off. Yeah. But uh, we've got another episode of Vow to View coming this Friday, where Elise has selected an Agatha Christie murder mystery for me to watch, and I make her watch a movie about Joaquin Phoenix falling in love with his computer. Because that's it's basically our relationship there. <laughs> uh, so check out that episode coming on Friday. Sounds awesome. And if you like any of these other shows and you want to support them, consider donating to our Patreon account, patreon.com slash Films. You can donate a dollar a month or whatever else you can afford. Supporting us on Patreon gives you tons of great bonuses like voting for the fan art contest, access to live streams, of our recording sessions, including this one, and our excellent Discord chat, which continues to be better than we could have ever hoped. Yeah, so check out patreon.com slash dailyplanetfilms for all those rewards and more. Yeah. And as always, make sure you go over to Wildbo's Patreon at patreon.com slash Wildbo. Wildbo. <laughs> I don't know why you paused well. for like 20 seconds. <laughs> this is his world and we're just playing in it if you can't afford to donate right now that's absolutely okay you can instead help us out by heading over to itunes and leaving us a rating and a review which uh we really need guys because i don't have any new ones to read this week <gasps> so yeah you gotta go go sit at a computer and, and type words and then i'll read them out loud it's like how the internet works oh yeah okay please guys take take the if you could take the time to do that it really really does help us a lot we really appreciate it 
Yeah, yeah, thanks. And, and all right, that's it for the show this week. Next week, uh, we assume we're finally going to wrap up Arc 5 Shadow, unless the whole rest of the book is just going to be Arc 5 Shadow. I guess that could happen. It's, yeah, uh, chapter 5.47 uh, yeah. is, is going to come up pretty soon. In either case, see you all next week. Mm-hmm.